0: Well, this is a first one. As you know, this year, 5783, we're doing three Parsha podcasts a week. On Sunday, we have the rebroadcast. On Thursday, please God, with up mind, we have a new podcast. And then on Tuesday, we go back a couple of years, two years to the year 5781, and we re-release the podcast from two years ago. Now, exactly two years ago, we were celebrating my son, my oldest son, Akiva's Bar Mitzvah, and it's become kind of a tradition here in our family, both the Walby family and the Parsha podcast family, that I sometimes bring my kids on to join the podcast, and we have a rule in our family that if you're Bar or Bat Mitzvah, then you have to come share something on the podcast. So two years ago, Ativa came and shared his Bar Mitzvah speech with Yal on the Parsha podcast. So that that, that was when he was 13, it's been two years, now he's 15, like a foot taller, and actually uh, this past week, on his birthday, February 24th is his birthday, on his birthday we went to the, uh, the DMV here, it's called the DPS, because he didn't want to miss it even by a day, in, in Texas you'll have to get your learner's permit at the age of 15, so he's 15 now, but just to give you some context, what you're about to listen to is what we recorded together two years ago, in the year 5781, in celebration of his bar mitzvah. Hope you enjoy. Hope it evokes some nostalgia for Akiva's bar mitzvah for those of y'all who are able to celebrate with us. And as always, my email address is rabbiwolby at gmail.com. Now, I have a very special treat for you today. As many of you know, my eldest son, Akiva, is celebrating his bar mitzvah this week. And we have, of course, lots of festivities planned. My family, my wife's family, are all descending upon Houston, Texas and joining us for the week of festivities. Of course, it's going to be a little bit different than it would have been if we weren't in a pandemic. But as is traditional, Akiva is going to be giving a wonderful speech over the course of the Bar Mitzvah festivities. And he graciously agreed to allow us his family, his extended family of the Parsha Podcast, he graciously agreed to give us a sneak peek of the speech of his Bar Mitzvah on this upcoming Shabbos, Parshas V'Aqba So he's going to be like the guest host of this week's Parsha Podcast. And he's sitting right here with me. And welcome Akiva to the Parsha Podcast.
1: Hi, hello. How are you doing today? I'm having a very fine day, especially because he took me out of school.
0: Oh, okay. That's exciting. So he's going to be the guest host. I'm going to be right over here, I might pipe in, maybe yes, maybe no. We are still going to have the A&Q at the end of the podcast, and then I'm going to have a special mini-interview with Akiva, asking him some questions about his uptime bar mitzvah, and uh he's just rolling his eyes now, he's like, I can't believe I agreed to do this. Sorry, keys. it's too late. Okay, with that introduction, here is the bar mitzvah boy, Akiva Wolby.
1: In this week's parsha, Parsha's Vayaka Bakude, we read about the most important construction project of all eternity, the building of the Mishkan and all its vessels, and all the clothing of the Kohen Gadol. Who headed this enormous project? Who was the project manager? A man named Betalel Ben-Uri, Ben-Hor from the tribe of Yuda. His father was Uri, his grandfather was Hor, his great-grandfather was Kaleif, his great-grandmother was Miriam, the older sister of Moses and Aaron. Betalelel was thus the great-great-nephew of Moses. And they worked together to build a tabernacle. The Torah says B'Tzala had a resume packed with incredible skills. He was filled with a spirit of Hashem, wisdom, insight, knowledge, expertise in every craft, a designer, an artisan of metal, gold, silver, copper, a weaver, a stone cutter, a carver of wood. He was also a talented manager of people. He had so many skills. B'Tzala had the complete package to oversee this huge project. How did he get his ability? He must have spent many years studying metallurgy and physics and craftsmanship and management, you think. But no, he was 13. Probably did not even hit his growth spurt. He was just a kid, yet he, not Aaron, not Aaron son, not Joshua, and to a large extent, not even Moses, built the Mishkan, the built the edifice on earth where God will rest. It's a sight to imagine a young boy directing hundreds of... Of craftsmen and artisans and weavers and people working with gold, silver, and wood and using Shamir, the miraculous worm that cuts stone. No one beats Btzal. How did he do it? How did he develop the skills? The answer is that God endowed upon him these skills. It was a gift from above. The midrash adds that Btzal's role in building a Mishkan was preordained since Adam. Adam. When Hashem told Moshe to build the Mishkan, Moshe thought he would do the work. He thought he would lead the effort, but Hash- Hashem told him, No, Btzal will do it. And then Hashem showed Moses the book of Adam Harisha, who shows that all the generation of the creation of the world to Kriasamesim, the resurrection of the dead, and in every generation said the kings, the leaders, the sages, the prophets, the movers and shakers. And who else was in that book? Batzal. He was the one to build the mission. Hashem said to Moshe, Ra'e Karasi, Bishem See I have called my name Batal Ben Uri Ben Chor. See, look in the book of Adam who listed under the entry in the building of the Mishkan, B'talel ben Uri ben Chor. So how was Betzalel able to build the Mishkan? Hashem gave him all those talents, but a question still persists. Why Betzalel? Why did Betzalel deserve this great honor? Of all Israel, of all the Bar Mitzvah boys, of all the candidates, why Betzalel? Why was Betzalel in Adam's book and no one else? To answer this question, let's ask another question. The Gemara, Baruchos 55a. Says that when Hashem commanded Moshe, he said, go tell Batal to build the mission, and then build the vessels. First the building and then what goes into the building. But when Moshe passed this instruction to Batsal, he switched him around, he said, make the vessels and then the building. But Batal caught on on the mistake and he said to Moshe, are you sure you have it right? Usually you build the building first, then you make the vessels. Moshe said, you are correct. You are Batal, Batal-el, in the shadow of God. This is a very problematic mark. Why did Moshe flip around? Why didn't Moshe change the order? If Hashem said first to make the Mishkan, why didn't Moshe say first to make the vessels? Why did Moshe forget what Hashem told him? Another did Moshe forget what Hashem told him? Another question. Moshe is very impressed with that Batsalah knew Moshe made a mistake. You must be in God's shadow. You really must understand the will of the Almighty. What's so special about what Batala said? It seems kind of obvious. Of course you build a house first and then you construct the vessels that go inside the house. So we have lots of questions. Why was Batal chosen to build a Mishkan? Why was Batal featured in the book of Adam? Why did Moshe flip God's commandment around? What is so impressive in Batal's correction of Moshe? Let's see if we can find some answers. We will tell some stories about Batal and his progenitors. And see what quality Batal had. Again, his father was Ori. His grandfather was Khur. his great-grandfather was Caliph. his great-grandmother was Miriam, the older sister of Moses and Aaron. When we study his antecedents, we see a striking pattern. Let's start with Khur. The Midrash Rabba Rabbah 48.3 says that Batala became great because of his grandfather Khur. When, when the Jews, Jewish people wanted to make the Eagle the golden calf, Khor tried to stop them and they murdered him, says the Midrash. Batala is a reward for Chor, who stood up to the mob and defended God's honor and refused to make a golden calf. The Midrash gives a, marshal, a parable about a, king who, about a king whose servants revolted against him. But one officer may remain loyal to him and fought the rebels. The loyal officer was then killed by the rebels. And the, when the king stamped out the rebellion, he gave the, all the loyal officer's children important promotions and offices. So to Chor, when the Jews rebelled, Chor was loyal to God. When there was a nationwide insurrection, Chor stood firm. Chor was not swayed by the mob, and he died a martyr, standing up for God's honor. And God promised, "I will repay you." Your grandson will be the one to build the mish- Mishkan. Chor did not follow the ground the crowd. Chor did not accept things unquestionably. This is that is Chor. Let us go, a generation up. life did he have the straight? Did he stand up for the mob? You bet. When he was sent with a spies to scout the land of Israel. Ten of the spies came back with slanderous accounts of the, of the land with intention of frightening the nation and sending them back to Egypt. And Kalev risked his life and stood up to Bob and said no. What about Miriam, Batala's great grandmother? Again, the Midrash attributes Batala's greatness to her. The said, murder the babies. Miriam said no. God said, I will give you a descendant full of wisdom more than anyone else. I will give you Batala. We begin to see a pattern. Batal's grandfather, Hur, said no to the people who want to make the golden calf. Batal's great-grandfather, Koli, said no to the spies who wanted to slander the land of Israel. Batal's great-grandmother said no to Par when he wanted her to kill innocent babies. Three of Batal's ancestors were willing to forfeit their lives and stand up for what they knew was correct. And the product of that is Batal. But there is more. The Gemara, Soto 12a... Tells us a story about what happened when Paro decreed that all the male sons must be thrown into the river. Tells us that Amram, the father of Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, was the leader of all the Jewish people. When he saw what Paro did, he said, We cannot have any more children born and to be killed by Paro. So he divorced his wife, Yochebed. When the rest of the people saw Amram, the greatest Jew, divorcing their wife, they also divorced their wives as well. Amram was the greatest leader of the Jews. And he made a calculation, if we have children that we murdered... It is futile to bear children, and he divorced his wife. Seems pretty logical. And then the entire nation agreed with him and also divorced their wives. What happened next? Continues the Talmud, his six-year-old daughter Miriam told him, You're worse than Paro. Paro decreed only to regard with the males, but you decreed both with the males and the females. Paro decreed to kill them only in this world, but you decreed to kill them in this world and the next world. Paro didn't know what if his degree would be fulfilled, but your decrees will certainly be fulfilled. Six-year-old Miram told her father, you're worse than Paro. Well, chutzpah, but look what happened. Amram accepted his, daughter, or his daughter's words and remarried his wife. And all the people, they also remarried their wives. What a remarkable story about Benzala's great-grandmother. In this story also, Miram stands up when he sees something wrong. Her father was the greatest leader of the people European, and in her opinion made a mistake. And she was correct. Her father indeed made a mistake and reversed his decision. But here's the amazing thing. Miriam noticed his mistake, and no one else did. They simply all copied Amram, and did not critically examine his de- decision. Miriam stood up to power despite the danger. But it was not only to tyrants that Miriam had the courage and clear thinking to note when something was amiss. Miriam stood up to her righteous father when no one else did. This brings us to B'Tzala. B'Tzala comes from a long line of people, of courage, and determination, and conviction, and strong principles... Who don't just follow others b- blindly, who don't just copycat. Batsal comes from people who do not sit idly when they see something wrong. They act. They resist. They question. They protest. And as a result of whose ancestors were, Batsal merited to be the one who God that God gave all this wisdom. But there's one more thing. There's only one more thing that Batsal had that clinched his standing. Moshe is told by Hashem, Tell Batal build the Mishkan and then build the vessels. But Moshe switches it. He tells B'tzalah first make the vessels vessels, and then make the Mishkan. This was a test to see if B'tzalah has the meatos of Chor, Kalev, and Miriam. And it's important to remember when this was. This was after Moshe came down with a second luchos. And his face was glowing as bright as the sun. Even his older brother, Aaron, was scared to come close to him. Moshe had to put on a mask in order not to blind the people he was talking to. Moshe was an angel walking among men, and everyone on was terrified of him. Everyone except for one precocious bar mitzvah boy. Moshe said, build the vessels first, and then build the Mishkan. And Ben Sal said, excuse me, I'm sorry, but I think you made a mistake. Doesn't it make more sense to first make the house and the Mishkan, and then make the vessels that go into it? Are you sure you heard God correctly? Maybe you erred? Can you imagine the chutzpah of this kid? He's 13 years old. He's a punk. He goes up to Moshe and tells him, maybe you he heard God wrong? Everyone is terrified of Moshe. His own brother. His older brother. Aaron is scared to look at him. And this little child tells Moshe, the greatest person who ever lived, I think you have it backwards. Can you imagine anything that's inappropriate to this? But what do you know? Batal was correct. And as a result, Moshe says, you're in the shade of God. Why is Moshe so impressed by Batal? What was so impressive about Batal that he said, that he... Like Miriam and Enchur, and Kalev, don't just accept things as given. When they see something wrong or inappropriate, they open their mouths and inquire. Or they open their mouths and protest. They're able to stand up. They're able to stand the mo- up to the mob who wants to make a golden calf. They're able to stand up to the mob who wants to slander the land. They're able to stand up to power who wants to commit infanticide. They even stand up to great leaders like Amram when he makes a miscalculation. They even stand up to Moshe when he seemingly makes a mistake. Batala comes from a long line of rugged, independent things. Of people willing to do it alone, if needed. Of people willing to risk all for what they believe. Of people willing to question the convention. He is the pedigree to be a great person. But it is only when he too displays that the quality of demonstrating season in the shade of God. Moshe was testing him to see if he shared the characteristics of Khur Kalif and Miriam. I will say something illogical. Build a vessels first and then make the Mishkan to house them. And let's see if he has the guts to call me out and correct me. But Sal did just that. He was not only the descendant of Kalev, Merrim, and Khor, he embodied their trait. That made him in the shade of God, and it made him worthy to build a tabernacle. What does it mean to be an Adam's book? It means to be original. It means not to copycat. It means to recognize that Adam was an unique, a once in history human person, not a commodity, never to be replicated. Adam was one of a kind. Whoever recognizes that there are one of a kind that has an entry in Adam's book, we must declare the world is created for me. We must recognize that I am the Adam in my world of my life. It means not just to follow blindly what everyone else is doing. It means to be an individual. It means to be unique. That attitude is ex- exhibited by B'Tzalel and why, and that is why he is in Adam's book. Only B'Tzalel could make the Mishkan. Creativity is an expression of individuality. If you want to create something that did not exist before, you cannot be identical to everyone who came before. If you think exactly like them, you'll only be able to mimic them. You won't be able to make something new. To build a Mishkan, to build something the world has never seen before, demands an individual, not a copycatter. This story of Vital has many lessons for us. One of the lessons is, the gifts that we have have come from our parents and grandparents go way back to Avram. The, their mitos are in, ingrained within us it's not enough to be destined for greatness. You have to perpetuate it. Because of the bravery of Batal's ancestors, he was destined for greatness. But he only got the greatness that he when he did it himself. If you want to be an individual, discover what entry can be found by your name. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much, Akiva Wolby. That was fabulous. I always say that the Parsha Podcast is like a family. And therefore, Akiva, you're part of this family and I wanted to make sure that even the family that lives far away and is not able to make it to the Bar Mitzvah, they too could participate and hear your wonderful speech. Plus, it's nice to do a dry run, a practice run. You did a fantastic job and fabulous. Okay, let's get to this week's A&Q before we go back to Akiva and have a mini-interview with him. So like Akiva mentioned... Betzalel was chosen, not arbitrarily, he was chosen because he comes from a very important line. His grandfather was so righteous, Chor, his great-grandfather, Kalev, his great-grandmother, Miriam, and because of the righteousness and courage, he was chosen by God. He was selected to be in the book of Adam, to be the one to build the Mishkan. Re'ei see, I have called my name, Betzalel ben Uri ben Chor. So this week's question is as follows. If Betzalel was chosen because of his antecedents, because of his progenitors, because of the people that came before him, why does it skip a generation? Betzalel, the son of Uri, the son of khur the son of Kalev and Miriam. And we told all these amazing stories about Kalev resisting the spies, about Miriam standing up to... Pharaoh even standing up to her father when he made some miscalculation. Chor, of course, being very brave in the face of the rebels trying to make the golden calf. And their descendant, of course, B'Tzal. But there is another descendant stuck in there, and that is Uri. And we know nothing about Uri. But Uri is the son of Chor and the grandson of Caleb and Miriam. And if B'Tzal earns his responsibility, his mission to build the Mishkan, like Demetrius tells us, because of his great antecedents, how come it skips over Uri? Why is Uri not the architect of the Mishkan? Why does it skip over him, and why does it go to his son, B'Tzalel? That's this week's A&Q, and I suspect that it might have something to do with the fact that B'Tzalel was only 13, and Perhaps at the time of the golden calf, he was still a minor, and therefore only B'Tzalik of the Mishkan, but not his father Uri, who shared perhaps those same qualifications, those same qualities as a descendant of Miriam and Hur and Kalev, Caleb, maybe yes, maybe no. But that's this week's question. And if you have an answer, send me an email, Rabbi the Akif, do you have any thoughts on this question?
1: I think maybe also because he, um, Uri wasn't tested, wasn't proven that he was, has a, maybe he was tested, but if he was tested by, Mo, maybe Moshe tested him for us to see if he has the the traits of his grandparent, if his, if his forefathers, then, then he'll do it. And then, yes, but he, but maybe Uri failed the test.
0: Ah, uh-huh, interesting.
1: And then will has to come in and fill in the place and B'Tal passed the test.
0: Ah, uh, you see that? This is a unique Parsha podcast. Normally, we have to wait till next week to get an answer. But now that we have a we'll be here in, in studio here in the marvelous, glorious Torch Center here in Houston, Texas. We got a little bit of a deposit, of a early deposit of this week's Parsha podcast. Challenge the A&Q. Okay, last week's question was as follows. Last week, Moshe gets the tablets from the Almighty. And the Midrash tells us that he has to wrest it out of God's hands. God wants to withdraw it because the Jewish people did the golden calf. And Moshe had to grab it and pull it with a strong hand out of God's hands. And Moshe brings the tablets down and he sees the people doing the golden calf. And he takes the tablets that he just worked so hard to get to extract from God. And he shatters it on the floor into a pile of rubble. And the question is, I don't get it. If you don't want it, if it's not appropriate for the Jewish people to have the tablets, leave it in God's hands, or maybe return it to God. But Moshe insists on taking it from God, only to shatter it at the foot of the mountain. And the question was why. And of course, as always, we got an incredible array of answers from the incredible Parsha podcast family. And I want to point out, if you look at the very last verse of the Torah, it's giving us the eulogy of Moshe. And the absolute last verse of the Torah, Hayada Chazaka, and the great strong hand, and the amazing wonders that Moshe did, and the last words of the Torah, le'ene Kal Yisrael, before the eyes of all of Israel. What was Moshe's crowning achievement? What was the final parting thought that we should have about Moshe? Is something that he did for the eyes of all of Israel. What's that? What did Moshe do? before the eyes of all of Israel. So Rashi tells us, again. this is the last Rashi in all of Torah, that Moshe was inspired to shatter the tablets in front of the eyes of all of Israel. And that is Moshe's greatest achievement. So this adds another wrinkle to our question. Not only did Moshe do the right thing of taking the tablets from God and shattering them, that was the greatest deed of Moshe's life. Of all of Moshe's achievements, this one towers above them all. And the question is why? And like I said, the Parsha podcast audience does not disappoint. In fact, our friend Adam, he set a new record this week by offering eight different answers to this week's question. Now, my friend Mike suggested the intriguing notion that something had to be destroyed. The sin of the golden calf was so egregious, something had to be destroyed. And it was going to be either the nation or the tablets. So Moshe wrests the tablets out of God's hands, so to speak, and he forced God's hands to destroy the tablets and thus to spare the nation. Now, another idea that Mike shared, and this was echoed by many other listeners, is that Moshe needed to do something drastic to reawaken the people from worshiping the golden calf. Our friend Adam compared this to a defibrillator. When someone's heart's not working properly, you have to stun it. You have to shock it. You have to stop it even, so it could restart properly. When they witnessed Moshe shattered the tablets, it shook them up. and made them realize their mistake, and it set them onto a path of recovery and repentance. Sometimes to recover... You first have to hit rock bottom, and what is a worse nadir than Moshe taking the tablets that he got from God, etched with the finger of God, and shattering it. Look what you destroyed. And when you see that, it shakes you up from your slumber. It awakens you from your stupor. Okay, we messed up. It's time to rebuild. Okay, here's uh, some questions that we have for Akiva. Now, I did not show him the questions, so we'll see what we have. Okay, so Akiva, how would you explain what changes when you turn 13? How would you define what it means to be Bar Mitzvah?
1: You don't, like, feel anything different, although it's, like, now everything's even like that you've been practicing for your whole life is now it's reality.
0: It's game time. Yeah. So is that scary? It's
1: not that scary. I don't know. I try not to be intimidated by much. <laughs>
0: Okay, that's a good definition. So basically, now you're you practicing, you're training, and now it's the big leagues. Yes. What do you think is going to be the hardest thing about being bar mitzvah? I really don't know. You'll find out and let us know?
1: I haven't tried it before, so.
0: Should we have a follow-up episode after a year and you'll let us know, let the audience know?
1: Back up with you the next year? We'll see.
0: Maybe. Okay. What are you most excited about for this upcoming weekend?
1: I don't know, maybe seeing like a lot of my cousins. I haven't, uh, grandparents, haven't seen them in a really long time.
0: Okay, seeing family. What, how would your bar mitzvah be different if not for COVID?
1: There will be a lot more people coming and I would probably, I don't know, I would probably be meeting a lot more people. I'm not sure more of your friends would probably come in.
0: Oh, okay. And here's the last question. I saved the best for last. What do you think your parents could do to do a better job in raising you and your siblings?
1: I plead the fifth amendment. Um.
0: <laughs> that's a good answer. <laughs> plead <laughs> the fifth.
1: Um, I really don't know.
0: You saying we're doing a stellar job?
1: No, I don't know. I'm saying like <laughs> I do think pride. um I don't I really don't know.
0: And what would you say at a scale of one to ten? Five? Nine. <laughs> Nine?
1: Oh, nine's not bad. Okay.
0: <laughs> and I want to let the audience know Akiva's like, not under duress. I'm not threatening him with anything. Am I threatening you with anything?
1: No, you're bribing
0: me. <laughs> I'm bribing you, okay. <laughs> bri- bribery is good parenting, okay.
1: I know. Yes, no, it's, it's bri- there's a nice word for bribery. Incentive.
0: Incentives, yes, that's nice. Yes, what's another word for brainwashing?
1: Incentivizing.
0: Education. <laughs> <laughs> what's your last line? What's your what final message do you want to share with the audience?
1: I don't know. Keep up listening. Keep on listening to the. Great Rabbi Wilby's podcast and all of Torch's great things, and I was not asked to say this.
0: <laughs> and what's my email address?
1: And your email address is r- rabbiwilby at torchweb.org? No. At gmail.org? Gmail.com. No.
0: It has to say it again.
1: <laughs> Rabbiwilloughby at gmail.com.
0: Well, thank you so much, Achiva. Big mazel tov for me, representing the whole Parsha podcast family. You did a magnificent, splendid job. Mazel tov. And to the audience, thank you for participating. Thank you for celebrating vicariously with us. We're going to celebrate together. Please God, this upcoming Shabbos, you take care. Have a great Shabbos. Until next week, thank you so much for listening. All the best.